The views and opinions reflected in any of the stories narrated are solely those of the story contributor and are not necessarily that of the Nightmare Society. This podcast features adult content, so listener discretion is highly advised. And if you or anyone you know is struggling, help is available. Please see the resources in the show notes. Hello again, Nightmare Society, and welcome to another episode of True Horror Stories. Thank you so much for swinging by. If you like what you hear, don't forget to follow or subscribe to the podcast so you can get updates on when new episodes are released. And without further ado, here are some true horror stories. So get comfy and prepare yourself for another episode of The Nightmare Society. This took place in the summer of 2016. My friend and I had just moved into our new house in a rural college town over the summer of 2016. I had arrived a week before the first day of school, joining my roommate who had already moved in. We were settling in to begin our semester. The house was nothing special. We liked it because it was close to campus. It was old and cheap. The basement was unfinished and there was no upstairs. You could see the university buildings down the road. There was a tennis court directly across the street. Due to this being a rural area, or for whatever reason, the road our house was on was not well lit. Combine that with a large forested area in the back and you would quickly understand why our house would be a target. My friends and I were in various later stages of college life and liked to party. We had a very open friend group and there were always new faces seen coming and going at the various places we lived on campus. This friendly nature and naivete of our friend group led to us letting our guard down and relaxing some of our standard home security practices. It was the night before the first day of school. The week that had passed was filled with drinking, marijuana, and loud music. It was finally time to go to bed early get a good night's rest, and wake up early for class in the morning. Sort of. It was 11 p.m. Our friend John had acquired some weed earlier in the day that had a very suspicious backstory to it. He had a lot of it. He got it for free, and what was his was ours, so it was time to smoke. The story is suspicious because later on we learned that John was having a schizophrenic episode explaining his erratic reasoning and shifting story on how the weed was acquired. Due to John's inherent gift of gab nature and the fact that schizophrenic episodes are not always obvious at first, our friends had no idea that he was having a mental breakdown. This made things very confusing later on. John had suggested we roll up the weed in my room. John and I, along with two other friends, head into my room to wind down As I close the door to my room, I see a friend asleep on the couch. Across the hall, my roommate's door was also shut with the lights off. We were the only ones awake in the house. My room is small. Two windows, one with an AC unit, 
one facing the back porch steps with my TV in front of it. I was sitting at my computer playing Seven Days to Die while my friends were rolling up a blunt on my bed. The irony of what happened next is not lost on me. I start hearing a slam come from the other side of my closed bedroom door, as if somebody had just knocked way too loud. I yelled out in annoyance, thinking this was the case. This was not the case. The knocking turned into slamming, which turned into breaking, which turned into splintering wood. In my head, I couldn't make sense of this. I kept picturing one of my good college friends, James, back from a long late night road trip, here to celebrate with a bottle of liquor and an eight ball. I was imagining that James would pop his head through the hole that he was currently splintering through my door, say that he would fix it later and have us come out and party with him. This was the only logical explanation for what I was seeing in my head. Finally it clicked. I reached for my phone and quickly dialed 911. Time seemingly dilated. I recall picking up a large pointy shard of splintering wood and holding it like a spear. I remember thinking, if they break through that door, I'm rushing them. I'm not giving them a chance. I remember seeing a look of sheer terror mixed with hopelessness as I watched my friend Mike try to jimmy the AC unit out of the window to no avail. We were all shouting and screaming as the wood splintering continued. I saw Mike take out his butterfly knife, and then it stopped. Nothing. Not a sound. The door had been broken and become stuck. My friends and I had to essentially finish breaking the door to climb through to the other side. After we finished climbing through the door, Chris and Kevin appeared from Kevin's room. Chris had snuck into the room to hide during the commotion. John quickly handed off the weed to Chris, who was going to hide it away from the house before the cops came. I had nothing to do with this plan. It wasn't my weed, so I wasn't there to tell them how to handle the situation with the police, especially when they were very quick to act, before there could be any real thought process put into this decision. I'm not saying this was a smart decision by any means. Kevin, as startled as we were, came out of his room and helped us out of the room through the broken door. Everyone was equally as confused. We examined the house to see if anything was stolen. We found all of our laptops and other expensive items exactly where we left them. Nothing was touched. We spied a cooking pot left outside of my broken door, so we figured the intruder had come into the house through the unlocked back kitchen door and swiped something off of our stove on the way to my room and used it to break down the door. At this point, all we could do was wait for the cops. So we wait, and wait, and wait. Thirty minutes goes by and I call the cops back. I ask what's taking so long considering there is a campus police substation literally a block away from where we live. Apparently, they sent the city cops from the complete opposite side of town. After about 40 minutes, the cops and Chris arrive at the house at the same time. Not the best timing. I realized that I had never gotten Chris's side of what happened. He left in such a hurry and he had been the only one that had seen the intruder. The first time I got to hear his side of the story was when the cops sat us down and asked us what happened. What he said made the hair on the back of my neck stand up as the whole room went quiet. He said it wasn't one person, but three men in masks. I don't know why I had assumed it was some sort of lone, crazed lunatic, but I never actually saw anyone. It was at this point that John's schizophrenic breakdown is in full swing. 
He says things to the cops during the conversation that you never would say if you want the cops to be productive and actually help you. It was making me extremely frustrated and hostile. Needless to say, those cops were a lost cause to begin with. When they showed up, John was having a full-blown schizophrenic episode. At first, it wasn't easy to notice. He was still pretty fired up from the break-in, so I was chalking his erratic behavior up to just being scared. Boy, was I wrong. The two cops that showed up asked us to sit down and took our story. One of our friends had decided to fess up and tell them that there was weed in the house to make the process easier. I think this was a bad idea because the cops seemingly became more interested in the weed from this moment on. We were sitting around discussing the specific amount we thought was stolen when we heard a knock on the front door. We had just finished telling the police some of the creepier details of what had just happened. You could feel how on edge everyone was. The cops look around for a second and then one of them slowly walks to the door and sneakily leans up against the peephole. To give you an idea of how derpy these cops were, the second cop said, Dude, you've got a gun. The cop at the door turned around and made a face before opening the door to find a third cop. Yes, a third cop had arrived to question us each individually about the weed. Meanwhile, the cops asked John to identify himself. He provided a few different versions of IDs with different names from different states. He was talking a mile a minute and insulting the cops with every third word. They were getting visibly frustrated with his antagonization and so was I. I could not for the life of me understand why he would choose this moment to pick a fight with the cops. After the cops leave, John keeps insisting he knows who did the break-in. He would tell two or three different stories about how he got the weed with different explanations. The idea of John knowing who did this was disturbing to me. John decides to take matters into his own hands. He leaves the house, claiming that he is going to go find who did this and make them pay. At the time, I was not thinking straight. I genuinely believed him and let him leave to go find these people, not knowing he was having a mental episode. When John returned, he told us what he had done. He had cornered the perpetrator, supposedly, in a parking lot and confronted him with a knife. When he told me the story, I was in disbelief. John may have been psychotic, but he wasn't a liar. Even though at this point I didn't know he was going through this episode, I feared the worst. I slept at a lady friend's house that night. I gave more thought into John's story and kind of put two and two together. I realized there was something wrong with our friend. I headed back to the house. John was still there with Kevin as if nothing had happened the night before. I walked inside and he came up to me with two large men in tow behind him. He told me these were his goons and they were there to fix the place up. At this point, I'm about to lose it. It's the morning before the first day of school and I have no idea who these large burly men are in my house fixing my doors. I walked into the living room. Sitting there on the table was a gold watch I had never seen, a pile of cash and a pile of weed. I'm now livid. I had no idea why we had been broken into, but I assumed it had something to do with weed. I didn't want any more in the house at the moment, especially so boisterously displayed. I pulled John aside and asked him what the F is this stuff here on the table. He gave me some insane story about how last night the guy who robbed our house came to him, apologized, and offered these items as penance. John tells me as well, and I later found out this part was true, that he sold his early 2000s SUV for $4,000. 
This was how he got all the cash. Like I said, normally John is not a liar. At this point, I know something's deeply wrong, but I'm still shaken by the fact that he keeps telling me he knows what happened. I went to class the next day, but I could barely focus on a thing. After another terrible night of sleep, I went back to my house and started my second day of school. When I arrive at the property, there are ripped up newspapers everywhere. I had no idea why, because we had just moved in and barely even had a single piece of paper to rip, let alone Grandpa's stack of papers from the 60s. I didn't think much of it until I got a phone call while on campus. It was Mike. He was telling me that John had been drunk driving around town all day. Apparently, he sold his car, but hadn't actually given the car to the guy he sold it to. We had been aware that, for the last few days, John has had no money. Mike and I were curiously wondering where he had acquired alcohol from. We went back to Mike's apartment, and there they were. Ripped newspapers everywhere. The paper had come from Mike's apartment. He had some in his room being used for decoration. John had snuck into Mike's apartment while he was at class, stole a bottle of Captain Morgan, and took off. I came back to the house again to find all of my friends on the lawn. I walk over and join them as they're all watching John from across the street. He had just walked over to a neighboring complex and taken a full paint can from somebody's porch. This is the middle of the summer, so a ton of people are outside. Josh is interacting with everyone and anyone who will listen. He was swinging the paint can around on the sidewalk of a relatively high traffic area. At one point, he tried to break it open. He would harass people on the streets, cops and cars, anybody at all. A squad car pulls up on the lawn and asks if we know him, if there's anything we can do. At this point, John had become a danger to others, but mostly himself. They let us know that if he isn't committed a crime, there's nothing they can do, and they leave. The next day, John's mother and aunt come to my house in an attempt to take him home. The conversation they had with him truly broke my heart. I had to listen as they tried to have a rational conversation with him. They slowly had to figure out that John was not himself through this conversation and that something was deeply wrong, even though at first nobody would have known. I couldn't bear to be out in the room with them, so I listened while I was in mine. Eventually, he was picked up by the cops. They said they found him downtown the next day bashing his head into the glass storefront of a local Chipotle. I was honestly relieved. My friend and I decided to go to the psych ward at the hospital to visit. He had not even been there a full night, but when we walked in, it was like he ran the place. I really have to emphasize this man truly does have the gift of gab. This is what made it so hard to tell there was something wrong with him. When Mike and I walked in, John came out of the back and immediately started flirting with this young pregnant nurse who was taking our stuff. She was giving him this, oh you, kind of reaction. We walk by a woman hysterically crying on the phone and John stops to console her. We sit down with all of the patients and John starts introducing us to them like he's known them for years. They all love him. He picked up a quick banter with one of the security guards as well as regarding something about TV shows they were watching. It was surreal to see my friend in here with people like that. At face value, seemed a little bit more off than him, but we knew. Eventually things started to settle down. I was called into the precinct to give information and nobody was ever caught. Although I do have my suspects. I moved out of that house in like three or four days to an apartment with one random guy down the block. The first weekend I get in the apartment, I have to myself. 
my roommate is out of town. Everything is comfortable and I can finally sleep easy knowing I'm safe at my new location. Suddenly I hear a pounding on my front door. A pounding. Somebody was knocking with all their force and was not letting up. They were also mashing the doorbell as fast as they possibly could. I caught a little wind of bravery and decided to go check the peephole. The peephole was being actively covered by whoever was on the other side. At this point, I was crapping my pants. They had found me. They had come for me. This was it. They know I talked to the police. I'm dead. I locked myself in my room and called my friend Mike. He lived in the same complex as me, so I knew he would be the quickest to respond. He answered. I told him the situation quickly and he came running over to help. After what felt like an eternity of wordless pounding and doorbell ringing, it stopped. I waited for a second and then called out to Mike. I let him in and asked him what the heck that was. Apparently it was some drunk college girl who had the wrong apartment. So yeah. John is doing fine now. I talk to him every so often and there's no indications that he's living in some paranoid delusion anymore. So to the three men in masks who tried to break down my bedroom door and to the drunk college girl who tried to break down my front door. Let's not meet. My mom's dog, Punky, rest in peace, was a very sweet, loving dog. She was an ESA dog but trained to be a service dog for PTSD before she lost her leg. I had never seen her get aggressive with anyone in the entire 12 years she lived. She never growled or nipped anyone, and she had no sense of smell, so she loved all animals and people, a real gentle giant among our little terriers at 60 pounds. What I'm getting at here is that her barking at something and being aggressive was so wildly uncharacteristic that I only saw it once. I, an 11-year-old female, was at home with my siblings, a 2-year-old male and 6-year-old female. My then-stepdad is at work, and my mom ran up to the gas station to grab a pack of cigarettes. It was only a mile or two away from us. For reference, we lived in a two-bedroom trailer in the middle of the woods on a dead-end road at the time, and you had to really make an effort to get down our road, find our house, navigate down our rickety driveway, and find the door. I'm sitting at the computer having a grand time watching YouTube videos when all of a sudden all of our dogs, two Boston Terriers and one Chihuahua, perk up, bark a few times, and then start investigating down the hall. My siblings were napping in the bedroom at the end of the hall at the time, so I figured they just stirred and scared the dogs. But then, Punky sits up suddenly, stands up on the couch, and puffs her chest out. Her ears are perked up her fur standing on end, her tail straight up, and then she barks loudly. I mean, the bark booms through the living room and echoes around, and all of a sudden she lunges off the couch and goes tearing down the hallway. I'm already on edge because I don't think I've ever heard her bark. Ever. She's a Basenji mix, so her bark is more of a baying sound, but this was a big, loud alert bark. I stand up and go to look down the hallway, 
ready to fight off what I'm assuming is a shadow monster in the hallway based on how the dogs are acting. But then I hear it. We didn't get visitors because of how weird our house was location-wise, so my 11-year-old mind had no clue what to do here. The only people who showed up were family, and they didn't knock. So I slowly walked towards the door. The knock drew the attention of the dogs, and they came running back down the hallway. All except for Punky. And I felt better with our three yappy dogs in the room with me, even if they were all the size of New York City sewer rats. I opened the door just a bit, and standing on the porch is the sketchiest man I think I've ever seen. I can still picture him perfectly. He was a really thin, taller man with dark hair and a sunken face, bags under his eyes, and this half-managed hair. Sort of like he just gave it a quick brush and then figured it was good enough. Everything about him just seemed a little too thin, a little too shallow, and his clothes were off too. They were nice, but fake nice. You know, like a clean, newer-looking t-shirt and new jeans. But he had what looked like a suit jacket on. All his clothes were dark, too, despite the fact that it was summer in Texas, and the weather was definitely into the hundreds that day. He also had his plain, unlabeled bottle in his hand. It looked like the label had been covered up and taped over. I stare up at him in confusion because I definitely do not know this man and I ask what he wants. He smiles at me in this way that's way too fake, like this exaggerated and forced grin, and he spoke in the same voice retail workers do. Hey there, kiddo. I'm trying to sell this here carpet cleaner. And he shakes the bottle at me. Mind if I come in and show you how good it works? Alarms are going off in my head because he just seems so off. Looking back with an adult perspective, the fact that he didn't ask if my parents were home is unnerving, because he probably knew they were not, and that's why he was there in the first place. I should have told him to get off our property, that I'd have to go get my mom. Something except what I did say, but I didn't. Instead, I just shook my head and said, No, we don't have carpet. Well, it works on other things. And he took a big step towards the door and shook the bottle at me. I started to freak out and think to close the door, but the thing is, our front door didn't even lock. Small town, hard to access, how we never needed a lock. So, that's basically useless. I'm sure there's something very wrong about to happen. And I'm terrified as I think about what to do in the few seconds I think I have before it does happen. When all of a sudden I hear it. Punky had crept up from the hallway, lowered towards the ground with her teeth bared and snarling like she was feral. She had slobber just dripping from her mouth. Her ears were down and she was ready to pounce. The guy hears it too and as I look towards Punky, she tries to lunge past me and I just barely catch her with my leg as she tries her hardest to duck past me and attack this guy. He freaks out and runs off the porch without another word. Booking it down the driveway as I let Punky out with the rest of our dogs and they start chasing him. Our small dogs chase him down the driveway and stop about halfway, barking and jumping about. But Punky stops just on the porch and watches him with her ears perked, just staring in the distance until he disappears. I swear I saw someone join up with him running when he got on the road. 
The second he disappeared, Punky's entire body language changed, and she went back to being the sweet dog I knew. No barking or growling, just laying around, mouth and throat covered in slobber still. I realized my siblings are still down the hall and run to check on them, and when I get to the bedroom, they're still sleeping soundly. But the bedroom window was wide open. The curtains pushed all to one side and the items on the dresser in front of the window are all shoved around. Someone had tried to climb through the window, no doubt in my mind about that. From what I can gather, the bedroom window was visible from the couch where Punky was sleeping, so I think someone was trying to climb through the window before Punky went after them and scared them off, and the man at the door was meant to distract me. They definitely didn't expect Punky the slightly bigger dog because most of the time she was with my mom inside while our smaller dogs were the ones that saw public eye more often. I don't know what they intended to do but after my mom got home she took all of us to my aunt's house and on our way there we saw the men walking up someone else's driveway. Men, plural, because we watched a second one split off to wait by the road. So, to the two men apparently going door to door to sell their unlabeled carpet cleaner, I'd really rather not meet again. And for everyone who is clearly going to be curious, there is links in the show notes to an image gallery of some of Punky's best photos. Enjoy. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time. Sweet.